Amen. Remain standing just for a moment. And uh, if you want to take and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22, this will be our starting point this evening as we continue thinking about um, God's providence, how he operates, exercises his providence over his creation. 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 28 to 34. And if you are in the machine reading plan this year, like me, you uh, encountered this recently. First Kings chapter 22, verses 28 to 34. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. So the king of Israel... And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel, and this is Ahab, by the way, and the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, until at evening he died, and blood, the blood of the wound, flowed into the bottom of the chariot. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I I titled our sermon tonight, How How God Heals Headaches. And I'm I'm not trying to be cute there. Uh, It really is an aspect of God's providence because there are some who wonder, well, if, if God is sovereign, as you say, then should I take medicine? If God wants to heal my sickness, he's going to heal my sickness. He doesn't need me to take an aspirin. And so we want to speak to that tonight. And I'm using the idea of medicine to convey what we're talking about with reference to God's providence. And we're going to think about it as we go through a couple of points this evening. But uh, as I was... um, Recently, somebody posted on Facebook, and it showed up in, in my feed... Uh, This quotation, it says, A coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous in interactions. Well, that's, it's cute. Um, But God doesn't do anything to remain anonymous. And that's one thing that we should be convinced of. God doesn't do anything to remain anonymous. He does all things uh, 
to exalt his name. Think about Psalm 105, verses 1 to 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. And then Psalm 105 proceeds to to talk about God's judgments and some of the works that he had done in history and redeeming Israel and bringing them out by his mighty hand. And it's saying, the psalmist is saying there, God has done this so that you will recount his deeds. And John Flavel in his book, The Mystery of Providence, says it is a sin not to remember the works of the Lord. And one of the places that he goes is Psalm 28, verses 3 to 5. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Now listen to what he says. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. What what is their sin? Well, they are observing God's creation and not giving him praise for it. They are treating his works as though they are anonymous. I don't know who did it. Well, so tonight, as we think about God's providence, we are, we are working through the Scriptures and, and we are cutting, we're cutting a line <clears throat> between pantheism and deism. Okay, what do we mean by that? Well, pantheism says all things are God and God is all things. So there's no difference between what God is doing and what I am doing. What I am doing is what God is doing. There's one will. And so the pantheist might uh, listen to last week's sermon and say, I agree, God is upholding and directing and disposing and governing all things because all things are God. And there's no distinction between them. So then we go back to the scriptures and we come in and we say, well, we're going to talk about how God has established second causes in, in his creation. The deist to our sermon last week, would have said, no, that's not right. God is distant. He doesn't govern his creation. All that governs are the laws that God has established. But he's not exercising his providence. So last week, we would agree with the pantheists and disagree with the deist, and then tonight, we're going to agree with the with the deist and disagree with the pantheist. Why are we doing that? Because we are interested in in saying what the scriptures say about how God governs his universe. Um, Let me just read to you chapters 2 and 3, sorry, paragraphs 2 and 3 of chapter 5. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably, and infallibly, yet by the same providence he ordereth them to fall out, according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. And then paragraph three, God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without, above, 
and against them at his pleasure. So tonight, what are we, what's an easy way to summarize that? The laws of nature display God's glory. The laws of nature display God's glory, especially when he works against them. Especially when he works against them. All right, so let's talk about just the first point here. Every healed headache is healed by God. Every healed headache is healed by God. The confession begins by saying that all things come to pass immutably, that means unchangeably, and they come to pass infallibly. All the things come to pass immutably, that means they don't change, and God is not changing, and He's not interacting with His creation in such a way that He's, he's learning how things go, and He's gradually uh, redirecting the ship, and He oversteered a little bit, so He's trying to pull it back this way, and, and we're, we're coming up over this wave, and He's got to redirect. God is not working in his, pro, in his creation that way, but everything comes to pass unchangeably. It is set and it comes to pass according to his divine plan. It comes to pass infallibly. There's no falsehood in it. It is just as God intended. And so for this, we, we look to Acts chapter 2, one of the proof texts for many things. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter is preaching to the people. He's standing there on the stoop. And all these people are gathered and they're listening to Peter preach. And he says to them, now, all of these Jews who are there gathered, he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter says this crucifixion of Christ, the most evil in which God displays His power and wisdom so that God's creatures might worship Him. In all things, God is displaying His power and wisdom. Nothing exists in and of itself. Nothing exists for itself. Nothing exists just to be there. Everything has design. Secular humanism says that there are nothing but bare facts out there. It has no purpose whatsoever. Christianity, on the other hand, asserts that all things exist for God and His glory, and to this end they should be studied and understood. When it comes to a headache, no matter how it is healed, we give the credit to God. It is according to his plan, which comes to pass immutably and infallibly. Now, what does that mean for us when we think about how God heals a headache? Well, sometimes God heals through medicine. That's our second point. Sometimes God heals through medicine. You can understand how this is important. Because there's some individuals out there who say, well, I'm not going to partake of certain aspects of, of medicine um, because I think if God is going to heal me, He's going to do it immediately all the time by some sort of divine intervention. So I will rest in, at home, and I will never go and see a doctor, and I will wait until God heals me there. And, and the assertion can be made that this is true faithfulness. 
Well, until we remember some basic facts, God can heal through medicine. The confession says that he orders all things to fall out. Have you heard that phrase before, to fall out? Um, in an old, there's an old translation, an older translation, of the King James that came into the revised version. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, you get this phrase. It says this, Now I would have you know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out um, rather unto the progress of the gospel. In other words, they've come to pass. This is the, the famous Hebrew phrase that we get sometimes in the Old Testament Scriptures. You'll find this phrase, and it came to pass. Well, that's not so much. Some, some people would make that very theological. It, it came in order to pass. Well, it's just, just a phrase that connects one historical event to another. It came to pass. It happened. It fell out this way. Um, it, this is picked up in the Gospels and in Revelation. So God orders things to fall out or, or come to pass would be another way um, to put that. And it goes on and it says, according to the nature of second causes. Okay, now we're getting into some phraseology that we don't use in our everyday conversation. What in the world is a second cause? You might put it this way. A second cause is a caused cause. Does that help at all? It is a caused cause. It is, it is an effect immediately produced in the creation. Think about it this way. A headache can be a caused cause. The headache itself causes you to stay in bed a little bit longer, doesn't it? Maybe you close your eyes and you put a, a, an ice pack on your head or, or you squeeze your, uh, between your, your thumb and your forefinger, whatever it is that helps you to overcome that headache. But it, it causes you to take certain actions. But the headache itself was caused by something else. It is a caused cause. And maybe you didn't drink enough water. Or you, you, you took too much time between meals and you allowed yourself to get overly hungry and you got a headache. Or you went to that heavy metal concert last night and you spent too much time in the mosh pit and you came home with a headache. And then the headache causes you to stay in bed. It is a caused cause. There's a cause behind the headache. And then, of course, we could define what's causing that headache uh, medically or biologically as well. But whatever it may be, the headache has something behind it. And in the same way, there are causes within creation. There are causes within creation. And from the perspective of providence, think about this, all causes are second causes. What is the first cause? It always comes back to God. God is governing, disposing, directing, and upholding all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. He is the first cause of all things. Um, but he governs his universe through these second causes so that all things fall out, and we're going to see three things. All things fall out or they come to pass necessarily, 
freely or contingently. What does that mean? Necessarily. These are the dynamics of natural law. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we read this, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. So what this is describing is physical processes that the Lord has set in place. So he has established the laws of gravity, the tides, the laws of thermodynamics. All of these things are at work in God's creation and they display his wisdom. So that if I take a pen and I drop it and it falls to the ground, this is the law of gravity that God created. It is a necessary cause if I push too hard in the pulpit, I'm going to fall over. Things tend to disintegration. This is the law, second law of thermodynamics. These things are all established by God, and he's decreed that these things work the way he's established them. The sun always goes from east to west, from east to west. It rises in the east and sets in the west. This is a law, an order that has been set by God. You can track um, the planets as they travel through the night sky. You can predict where they're going to be in certain seasons. These are the laws. Uh, this is the providence of God working through necessity. But God's providence also works um, freely. These are the choices that you and I make. When a, when a fly lands on a Venus flytrap, and becomes enclosed there, God was not willing that, um, in and through um, that fly. It was the operation of that fly's will to land on that flytrap. The fly was making a decision. And in the same way, you and I make real decisions. You see, this is where we differ from the pantheist. The pantheist would say, every decision you make, God is making it. You are God acting. Well, that's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that God has ordained that men make free choices. Um, as one commentator writes, but in any case, freedom, human freedom means that we always do what we most want to do given the options we have in a particular situation. We always do what we most want to do given the options we have in a particular situation. God also works. Uh, think about the story that we just read about Ahab's death. Um, Ahab and Jehoshaphat had gotten together. And they had formed this alliance, and they were going up to engage in war. And Micaiah had, had prophesied that Ahab was going to be killed in that battle. Well, Ahab changed his clothing, maybe to avoid the prophecy we're not told in the Scriptures. And he told Jehoshaphat, you remain, um, you remain clothed as you are, and you stay separated from the battle. Well, when the enemy saw Jehoshaphat, they thought he was Ahab. And so they begin to pursue him, and Jehoshaphat cries out, 
and they turn aside. They saw this is not actually Ahab. And so we, the story is that a man pulled his bow, almost as though he closed his eyes, pulled his bow at random and released the arrow and it sailed through the air and struck Ahab perfectly between the breastplate in his armor. It hit the only soft point in his armor and he bled out in his chariot. And the dogs licked up his blood, just as the prophet had said. And so what we see there is is we see Ahab making decisions, Jehoshaphat making decisions, this this, um, archer pulling back his bow, letting it go, the scriptures say, at random, and striking exactly where it had to strike to kill Ahab. We could think of the example of Assyria in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 6 to 7. And God had ordained that Assyria come against Israel in judgment. And he tells them, this godless nation is coming against you. They are my agent for just judgment. But listen to how Isaiah puts it. Against a godless nation I send him, that's Assyria against Israel, And against the people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Now listen to verse 7. But he does not so intend and take his heart, I'm sorry, and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. What is Isaiah saying? From the Assyrians' perspective, they are carrying out their will. They just want to conquer every nation that they can. But then when we slip over and we see the divine side of that, God is working through them to accomplish His will and judgment against Israel. Over here, they think we're just going to go and destroy. But when we see the divine side of it, God's purpose that is immutable and unchangeable is being Accomplished, And then finally, um, God's providence works necessarily, freely, and then finally, contingently. You know, one of the things that we've really suffered under uh, is a lack of rain. And because it hasn't rained, the hay has died, the grass has died, plants have died, our crops haven't grown up like they should. This is a contingent aspect of God's providence. He is ordained that certain things work in a system. The water cycle works in a certain way. It's described in Job. The, the water, we have condensation, it, and it turns into precipitation. It falls to the ground, and we have evaporation again. And all these things happen, and when that water falls to the ground, it waters the crops, and they grow. And when that doesn't happen, they don't grow. That's the contingency. Something has to happen to cause another thing to happen. That is also an aspect of God's providence. You might consider the conception of a child to be a contingent act of ordinary providence. So when you take an Advil, or whatever your uh, drug of choice may be, and it cures your headache, you are observing God's ordinary providence working through the laws of second causes. 
You freely engaged in activities that brought on that headache, perhaps. You went to the heavy metal concert. You freely chose to take the medication. And the medication within your body works according to the laws necessary and the contingent and necessary biological laws relieving your pain. But in all of this, you are dependent upon God's kindness toward you. The wise choice that you make and the effectiveness of the medication are ultimately in His hands. As Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the result is a pain-free head and the opportunity to come to church and thank God for His kind providence towards you. Um, how does this work on a personal level? Um, and I'll give you just an insight here. Um, when some of you have, have you've, you've witnessed or you've been through um, treatment for cancer, and when you begin treatment for cancer, they begin to pump things into your body that under no other circumstances would you put there. There are certain medications that the nurses have to clothe themselves in a certain way to administer to you. And uh, maybe a spouse or a parent has to sign releases saying, we're going we're gonna to allow you to administer, administer this medication um, knowing that the risks that are inherent there. And Michelle and I, as we were going through that process, I remember um, thinking, you know, receiving all of this information, and we, we had to do that again recently, and they're saying, well, this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen, and they're all awful things, awful things that could happen. And there's, you, could, you could go into a serious panic and anxiety saying, well, I, what choice do we make? How, what do we do in this situation? Uh, do we give the medicine? Do we not give the medicine? What do we do? And this is where our reliance on the providence of God comes into play, do you see? You make the wisest choice possible for your situation, and you rest knowing that God will either permit the medication to work or not. All of these things are, are, you're not taking it out of His hands in the least. Whatever choice you make, make the wisest choice as it suits your circumstances and then trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Lastly, let's notice that God operates His providence necessarily freely and, then, and contingently. But then let's also remember that God can heal a headache without medicine if he wants to. This is the definition of a miracle. When we talk about God's providence, we also talk about the miraculous. Here's a faithful definition of what a miracle is. What is a miracle? Samuel Hopkins says it this way. When this stated course of events, you think of the laws of nature, the will of man, uh, the things that have to happen contingently, all these things going on, when this stated course of events or these laws of nature are interrupted and visibly counteracted 
and events take place in a contrary manner, these events are called miracles. When Jesus stands up in the boat and he says, winds and waves be still, and they stop, that's a miracle. Um, I was recently listening to someone talk about this whose, whose, whose father was in the Navy, and he says, you know, the, the amazing thing about that is the, the wind stops, but normally, even after the wind stops, the waves continued, but in that instance, the wind and the waves ceased roaring instantaneously. You see, nature was interrupted. The laws were interrupted. That's a miracle. Um, but I appreciate that Hopkins goes on. Now think about this. He says this. No more power use means to bring about his work or he may work without it, above it, or against it. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures here. God can accomplish his work apart from the laws of nature. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 7, we read, But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. You see, he's going to dispense with all the ordinary means and save them without it. I'm going to conquer all your enemies, and you just sit and watch. He can work above nature, going above and beyond the laws of nature. We think of our own salvation. Do you know that, that a saved man and an unsaved man are made from the same lump? That's what Romans chapter 9 teaches us. We come from the same lump. And so when God calls you to Himself and you respond, that is a work above nature. What your nature normally isn't prone to do, God enables you to do. But He can also work against nature. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 6, we're reading of Elisha. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? They're asking about the axe head. And you remember what happened. When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. In other words, it operated against nature. That axe head, that iron, which was denser than water, sunk to the bottom. But at the command of God, it defied the laws of nature and it floated. Daniel chapter 3, verse 27. And the satraps and the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered to together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Isn't that amazing? God is working against nature. How is that? Because normally they should have burned up and died. These are true miracles. But whether God works by second causes or whether He works through the miraculous means that as He may please, He does it all according to His own pleasure. What brings Him pleasure? He does. So the laws of nature display God's glory, especially when He works against them. And as we close tonight, just remember that God 
did not create the universe to become anonymous. He doesn't want to live as a secret in your life. He created the universe so that as you enjoy the aspects of creation, humanity would enjoy Him. This is His purpose for you. This is why men began to become astronomers and scientists and to study these things because they understood that God created them. They work according to laws that He created. Therefore, they could be studied and measured and you could reach conclusions about the Godhead Himself. Our duty is to worship Him for His creation and to give Him thanks for it. Remembering that not to do so is sin. So when you take your Tylenol or whatever it may be and God relieves your pain, remember that He did it. He did it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know our hearts and you know how they need to be sanctified. And even in this, we remember that you sanctify us by means. You sanctify us by your word. So that the more we apply ourselves to your word, the more we are sanctified. And when we don't, the less. So give us a love for your word for that. And Lord, so that we might learn in all things to take in your creation. To give ourselves to the study of it. To read your word, but also to enjoy the things that bring us joy. Whether it's the study of nature, a walk in the woods observing the things that take place around us, how fish swim and live and breathe underwater. And to remember that you did all this to show the diversity of your wisdom, Lord. And especially, Lord, when we come under adverse circumstances where some, we are doubtful about a decision, help us to rest in you, to exercise our wisdom to the best of our ability, and then when the day is done, to lay our heads on our pillow and remember that you are in charge. Father, we bless you for that and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.